As you prepare for retirement, you'll be faced with many important choices. We want you to make the right ones. Welcome to Financial Choices Matter with Charles Scott. Charles is an accredited investment fiduciary. He's well-equipped to help you make sound financial decisions. We want you to experience a meaningful retirement. On our podcast, we believe financial choices matter. This is Financial Choices Matter. I'm Mark Haywood alongside Charles Scott of Peloton Capital Management. He is a fiduciary advisor serving you in Scottsdale. You can find him online at pelotoncapital.com. That's pelotoncapital.com. Or you can reach out, call the office 480-513-1830. That's the phone number. That again is 480-513-1830. Charles, welcome back into the podcast. How are you? I am great, Mark. Thank you. Excited for today. So let's see what's let's see what's coming our way because there's always a lot to say. <laughs> there always is. We always have to cut these things short, it seems. Just never enough time in these podcasts. But that's all right. We have a lot of fun. And as you might remember with the last podcast, let's kick today off with a bit of news. Extra, extra, read all about it. Well, as we said, a bit of news to kick off the podcast. Charles, the IRS recently announced that they're increasing the contribution limit for IRAs and 401ks in 2019. So in other words, you can do that now. If we're maxing out our contributions before, should we automatically assume that we should increase to the new threshold? So I believe it was 5500 before in a IRA and 6000 this year. Should you just automatically increase to 6000 as an example? For most people, most of the time, I would say, yeah, absolutely, certainly. I don't think there's anything wrong with being able to take advantage of, you know, the little bit of incremental increase that's been given to you this time around. If it's that amount, if you've got 401k opportunity, you've, you know, you've gone up to $19,000 from $18,500. Yeah, like you said, you went from $5,500 to $6,000. If you're over 50 years of age, you've also got $1,000 extra you can throw in an IRA or you've got $6,000 extra that you could put into a 401k. So that, you know, if you wanted to max out your 401k, you would be putting in $25,000 if that's what you wanted to do. But another question that goes along with this is, should you be putting it in a pre-tax tax-deferred account, an IRA, traditional IRA, or your traditional 401k? Or should you be looking at the Roth? And we talked last time about a Roth conversion but this isn't really a Roth conversion. This is just a straight Roth. And it's real interesting because Roth IRAs have always been around. There are some income limitations on a Roth IRA and being able to contribute to it. But a Roth 401k is has really been around, but hasn't been offered a lot by a lot of companies, but that's changing dramatically. And I would say if you're working for an employer that's got a 401k plan, if you don't already know, ask them if they have a Roth version of it. Because in reading something just a, a few days ago, there are something like 70% of the 401k plans. And this is especially true if you're working for a larger employer. 70% of the 401k plans offer a Roth option, but only less than 7% of the employees that have it available to them are actually taking advantage of it. And the difference between obviously a Roth and a traditional in the 401k world is the traditional 401k gives you pre-tax dollars that go into it. So you, when the money comes out someday, it comes out and it's taxable income to you. The Roth version, just like in an IRA, the Roth version is an after-tax dollar. It can still go into the 401k. You can still get the company match if they have a company match. But those dollars inside that 401k plan and the Roth side continue to grow just like they have before. And when they come out someday down the road, they're basically tax-free dollars. So there's a big difference there. 
you know, in our last podcast, we talked about our tax rates going to go up in the future. Our contention is absolutely they are. So this Roth idea, would you rather trade off a pre-tax dollar that you have to pay tax on someday when it might be worth four or five dollars or just pay the tax on the dollar today and be done with it forever and never have to worry about it? So I think the idea of maxing out, if you can afford to max out or putting in at least at a minimum what the company matches for you makes sense on a 401k side and on the IRA side, also put in what you can, but consider the Roth as opposed to the traditional IRA or 401k version, because it could make in the future, not right now, in the future, a big difference, a big difference. So, you know, yeah, I mean, are they good ideas? Absolutely. Do you want to optimize the potential, not only now, but in the future also for sure. And so that's stuff we talk about all the time with clients. All right, Charles, thank you for explaining as always. Now let's move on and take a question from the mailbag. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. Well, we do love to hear from you on the podcast. Always like to get your questions. And so if you have a question, you're interested in submitting it to be featured on the show, you can do so online at pelotoncapital.com. That's pelotoncapital.com. And don't worry if you're nervous, we can change your name or location and whatnot. But uh, we do love to feature your questions. So please write into us. That's pelotoncapital.com. Let's take a question now from Gretchen in Phoenix. Gretchen says, I inherited a lot of stocks and mutual funds from a relative recently. A friend who trades stocks told me that I'd have to pay a ton of taxes because we don't know the beginning price for these investments. They're old and weren't tracked then, I guess she says. So... He said that it all be treated as gains and I'm going to have a huge tax bill on my hands. Does that sound about right? Well, I'm, you know, it's nice that you ask a friend and I'm sure that your friend had the best of intentions at giving you the answer that he gave you. I don't know if it was a he or she, but he's wrong. You don't have to pay taxes on them because when you inherit stocks or mutual funds in this case, the basis, in other words, what was paid for them originally when they were originally purchased by your relative is completely irrelevant because on the date of death, these financial assets take on a new cost basis. The value of the mutual fund the day your relative died is the new starting value for you. So your tax liability goes from now, whenever you actually inherited them, on into the future. What was paid for them originally doesn't make any difference because they get what is called a step up in basis. The new cost, if you will, is what it was the day of death. So it's different if you, let's just say your relative had given you the mutual funds or the stocks as a gift, then that gift would have carried with it its original cost basis. And unless you can figure out some way to prove what that original cost basis was, then the IRS is going to basically say, well, your cost basis is zero. So everything is a gain. But in the case of inheriting anything, you get it, like I said, you get this step up. So you start new, you start clean from that, that day that your relative passed away. And you can go back and, you know, and look up the value of the stock or the value of the mutual fund, the price, the ending price of that day. And that's all you need to have going forward. So if you inherited a mutual fund and its share price was $20 and today it's $18 and you wanted to sell it, you would actually have a loss on your tax return for that. If it was, you know, it's the same thing with stock. If you inherited it at $20 and it's now worth $30 and you decide to sell it, then you're only going to have a $10 gain. So again, best intentions from your friend to give you a response, but it wasn't the right response. So that happens. 
Again, thanks, Gretchen, for writing in. And if you would like to have your question featured one more time, I'll tell you. Just go to PelotonCapital.com. That's PelotonCapital.com. Submit your question, and who knows? You could be the next question featured on Financial Choices Matter. All right, Charles, let's transition now into the meat of the show today. We started this segment a while back, and I think you'll enjoy it. This is where we just kind of hand the mic over to you and let you go. So warning alert, this could be a bit of a rant, but it's time for What's Bugging Charles. Boy, are you bugging me, man. I'm going to, when I get, I'm going to nail, ooh, I'm, I'm getting bugged now. Whoa, man. Well, I'm going to apologize up front if this sounds like a rant. That's not what I want to do. That's not the purpose of this. But this is something that's been driving me crazy for months and, well, longer than that. And it's all the information, all the stuff that we see. And maybe I'm, maybe listeners are not paying any attention to this, and that's okay if it doesn't impact you. But it's student loan debt. It's all these kids that have gone to college and are burdened down with, I think it's about $1.5 trillion worth of student loan debt. And it's a shame that they have that debt, but you know we've got some experience with this. I'm going to tell you the, the professional experience first, and I'll give you a bit of the personal experience in a minute. Professionally, we, three or four years ago, did a bunch of college planning presentations and coursework and work with, presented to, talked to, met with, coached, counseled, three or 400 families. And the conclusion we came to was they have no clue what the hell is going on? Excuse me. They were totally unprepared. They had not done their homework. They didn't know. They didn't know about loans and scholarships. They had never saved enough for their kids. We finally got to the point where we were asking the question of these families. I'm not saying that it was every single one we met with. That's not true. But the vast majority of them, when we asked the question, well, okay, so you know, when did you recognize that Johnny was reasonably intelligent? They said, I don't know, he's four or five. I said, okay. And was the idea that, well, you know, having him go to college would probably be a good idea because it seems like the right thing to do. And they would always say, yeah, absolutely. I said, so when did you start saving for college? Well, that's why we're here because we haven't. And it was like, seriously, you knew he was smart. College was probably inevitable from the parental point of view, but you did nothing about it. And now you're here because you're under the gun and, you know, he's a junior in high school and you're trying to figure out what the heck do we do? That was honestly and truly, that was amazingly the uniform response that we got from people. And, you know, I will say maybe two families of all of those that we met with had saved enough money, had been conscious about this, had saved enough money. A couple of families had saved enough that they could pay for, you know, if you wanted to go to medical school or law school or whatever, they had saved enough. There were a handful of families that also said, we can pay for this. We've saved some, but we can pay for this basically out of cash flow because they were earning good income. And that was really cool. And we were able to do some other things and help them with that. But the vast majority of them didn't have any idea. I mean, they just had not done any, any homework. And, you know, they just wanted to send their kids to really good schools. And they just didn't know how much it was going to cost. And, and I will blame the colleges for some of this problem, but not exclusively. Because I'll give you the personal experience with our two girls who both went to the University of Arizona. Both graduated from there within four years. Both got to study abroad. They had enough credits, more than enough credits to graduate. But the, from the time that the oldest one, they're two years apart. So the time the oldest one started at the University of Arizona and the youngest one graduated from the University of Arizona, cost of college in Tucson had gone up by 50%. So when we actually went back and looked at it, that was kind of a shock. 
we had the conversation with them in the beginning of, do you want to take out a student loan or not? And I don't know if they still do this because, you know, but they had to read something and sign off and say, we understand that it's a loan. We have to pay it back someday. And it's like, come on, you know, do the rest of the people go into college or the, certainly the people we talked with not know that? So there's this, you know, they knew they were taking out a loan and we gave them the option of taking out a loan and not working during school year or not taking out a loan, but having to work during the school year. And they both opted for student loans. They worked in the summers, but they didn't work during school. And after they got done, and our oldest daughter is at the point where I think within like three or four months, she has her student loan paid off. It was never a big deal. They knew they had it. That was their responsibility. You could blame them for being the kids of a financial planner, but that's neither here nor there. But we asked them the question, was it a better idea to have the loan and not have to work during school? Because they were both involved in a lot of other stuff at the University of Arizona. And both of them said, yeah, absolutely. It was way better, the right choice. But we did some homework on our part. They did a bunch of homework on their part, and they knew exactly it's not the case with most of these kids. And their parents. I blame the parents more than the kids, for Pete's sake. There was an article, and this just brought it back to this ranting annoyance in my head. Uh, at the end of December this past year in the Arizona Republic in the USA Today section, the headline of the section, this was on December 28th, is 41,000 sought student loan forgiveness, only 206 got it. Now, that's an appalling statistic. I mean, there's a lot of people that were looking for it, but only a couple of hundred people actually got it. But the main reason that they didn't get it was because they didn't know what they were looking for. They didn't know how to go about it properly. They had not done their homework. They were signing up and lining up for, you know, the wrong kind of a loan or the wrong repayment plan. And so they got denied. It just goes back to you know, what I have said before. And that is they're not prepared. People didn't know. People, you know, we'd ask people when they would come in and sit down and talk to us. So, you know, scholarships, you're thinking of scholarships. How are you going to pay for college? Well, they're going to get scholarships. I said, have you done your homework on scholarships? Have you done a bunch of research? And they would say, no, not really. You know, have you looked at student loans? Well, yeah. I mean, we talked about it. We thought we'd get some. I said, have you done any homework on those? And they said, no, not really. They were just unprepared. I mean, that's it. And it's a travesty that this has happened and that it is such a big deal. But I'm sorry, people have to take responsibility for what they do know and do do and the things that they don't know and never bothered to find out about. College wasn't expensive when I went. I have to be perfectly honest. That was a long time ago. And as I said, you know, it got more, you know, it went up by half in the six years that our kids were at the University of Arizona. It's sad that that's the situation, but that's the situation. And honestly, I blame the students some. I blame the parents a lot. And they always wanted to send them to expensive places when it made no sense. Our kids stayed in state because they weren't sure what they wanted to do and they didn't need some special training. So I don't know. I apologize if this is, uh, you know, off topic, but it's just, it makes me nuts. Just be accountable for Pete's sake and be prepared for the things that are going to come up in the future. That's what good financial planning will do. You show up when your kids are junior in high school and want to know how to pay for college. That's way too late. So liked working with the families that had a clue, but way too many didn't. So if I offend you, I partly apologize, but that was the reality of what we saw. And it wasn't just with I mean, we talked to enough people and worked with enough people that that's the conclusion we came to. And to be perfectly honest, we stopped doing it because it was so frustrating for us. So that's my end of this podcast. And again, sorry if it bugged you, but pass it on to somebody else that might be considering, have them listen to this if they're trying to figure out how they might be thinking about paying for college for their kids. 
in the future because they need to pay attention. Things are out there. Resources are absolutely out there. But you need to have a plan, which just goes back to why we do what we do, is help people come up with a plan for whatever they need to plan for. Charles, thank you as always for sharing your insight. I know you think you're ranting, but it's truly an important topic. It's worth diving into on the podcast. And hey, sometimes it's fun just to turn over the microphone and let you go. If you are in a situation where you have a student in college, a son or a daughter in college, a a child in college, or maybe you're paying for a grandkid's college right now, or maybe you're on the younger side, somehow this has caught your eye and you yourself are paying off student loan debt from grad school or college. If you have questions about it, want to dive into what that looks like, reach out to Charles and the team. Come in for a visit and get your questions answered. The number to dial is 480-513-1830. That's 480-513-1830. Come in, get answers to your questions, and just get a review of your situation. Again, that's 480-513-1830. Charles, as always, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Mark. I had fun. We always have fun, so we'll have fun the next time. We will. We will. We'll do it again next time on another edition of Financial Choices Matter. Financial planning and investment advisory services are provided by Peloton Capital Management Limited, a state-registered investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. No one should assume the information presented here serves as a receipt of or substitute for personalized individual advice provided by Peloton Capital Management. For more information, visit www.pelotoncapital.com.